It's good to be here today. If you have a Bible with you, would you care to turn to the book of Psalms, please, in the Old Testament? The, <coughs> the Psalm is number 137. 137, the New Testament equivalent of the book of Psalms. We've only got the one song book. So the, the free church, to a certain extent, are correct in giving so much attention to the Psalms. And we're going to read Psalm 137. I'm going to read the whole Psalm, but I'm going to try and explain later on why you can have verses like 8 and 9 in the Bible, which is a difficulty. The Jews are exiled to Babylon. Professor Bruce says, probably to dig irrigation canals for the great city of Babylon. And when we read the book of the prophet Ezekiel, it says he sat down beside them by the river Kibar. It looked as if there was a prisoner of war camp, so uh, that is in fitting and keeping with talking about on Remembrance Day, okay? So let's read Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is he who repays you by what you have done to us. Sorry, for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. May God give us understanding in the reading and in the hearing of his word the text I would take would be verse 4 how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a strange land or a foreign land if you wanted a, a title for the psalm it would be the bitterness of bondage I want you to try and imagine the scene it was one of these beautiful clear nights in Mesopotamia between the great rivers Tigris and Euphrates the sky was like black satin embedded with diamonds in, in his famous song Mario Lanza says you know he talks about look at the skies there are stars in their eyes and such a bella naughty well, it wasn't a bella naughty for these guys they were probably sitting beside the embers of a campfire reminiscing on what it was like to be back in Jerusalem 700 miles away I think that would be 
at three miles an hour for eight hours a day. That's 28 days force march for the Jews, at least, to get to Babylon. And then one of them would pick up his heart maybe and, and start up the 23rd Psalm and say, shut up, we can't have that, that makes it even worse. It's like, it's like people singing my info. Hang it up. We hung our harps in the poplars. And then a crowd of drunken Babylonians passing the camp said, come on, we'll go in and get these Jews to sing to us. And uh, they would go in and taunt them. Sing as one of your national anthems. We've heard about the Jews and the music they can produce. We'll see if your Hebrew lilt about Jehovah is better than the music of the gods of Babylon. And so they would pester the Jews and then disappear into the night. And after they'd gone, folk would say, How can we sing the songs of the Lord? in a foreign land and that led them to the awfulness of the statements you get in the latter verses of the psalm so bitter was the bondage and the, the privation they suffered too tired to talk very much too heartbroken to sing What made them silent? What made them hang their harps in the willows? Well, it'd be loyalty to the memory of Jerusalem. That'd be the first thing. They'd remember the temple. Remember the ritual and the ceremony of the festivals. Remember um, God's people trying to obey God's law. Loyalty to the memory of Jerusalem and then loyalty to the misery of Jerusalem made them like that because they remembered what Jeremiah had told them don't go around saying the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord Jeremiah says because God is going to destroy this temple through an enemy and don't rely on the inviolability of Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar's battering rams are going to smash your gates and they're going to walk over your land and they're going to defile your temple and they're going to take you into exile and punishment. So they remembered their loyalty to the memory of Jerusalem and their loyalty to the misery of Jerusalem. One of the the writers about the Old Testament says Nebuchadnezzar's battering rams smashed their false theology beyond repair. What were they to do? They were victors. They had come into that land. It was a promised land. God gave them Canaan, the land of Israel. It was a promised land. And the victors, when they marched in under Joshua, they conquered the Canaanites and they took over the land and eventually, under David's leadership, they set up their capital in Jerusalem. Later on in the time of the monarchy. And they had so much for which they, they, they could be triumphant. God had given them a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, nowadays it's Coca-Cola and potato crisps. But in those days it was milk and honey that they got they were victors and now they're victims they've been humiliated they've been 
shackled. They've been gathered together like sheep and marched to Babylon where the paganism was right in the face with these big statues the Babylonians had of Ishtar and all their gods. The temple was defiled and destroyed. They'd suffered the misery of a long forced march. What was going through their heads was hard to imagine. How can they sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Last week I was listening to a Lithuanian lady. She was talking about life in Lithuania under the hard heel of the communist regime in Russia. What it was like to be a Christian in Lithuania when the government were imposing their will on the people. And then she took us, she got on her seven league boots and she she told what it was like to come to Britain to live. And she says, I discovered there was a parallel here. The Christians in Britain, she says, uh, they're not suffering like we suffered, but they're suffering something parallel to that. Because Christians in Britain are living in a God-denying regime right now, full of practical atheists. If you you have a survey about whether they believe in God, you'll get a big percentage say they do believe in God, but they live as if there was no God. And the funny thing I I, I found out is there's a a singer uh, from the Orkneys whose name escapes me, Herkes, is it? Michael Herkes. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But why do they want to go to heaven? They spend their whole life denying God and living as if he didn't exist. Why would anyone want to go to heaven? But they want to go to heaven. But here we are today, marginalised, despised, rejected. We've got a government enactment about named persons, which has awful potential for the Christian family. And so in... If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, if I forget the spiritual dimension of life, we would say today, let my right hand forget her cunning, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. The language, Psalm 137, is something else, isn't it? And we're sympathised with it in quite a number of ways. The problem is that the unseen world can't grip and hold a man who's never been on his knees. Why is this world not my home, you ask? Well, the older I get, I feel it's less my home. I don't know if the older folk here agree with me. I detest its value systems. There was a a famous guy called Tony Campolo. You ever heard of him? Uh, Tony Campolo. He wrote a book that I loved a good title for a book. And here was his title for one of the books he wrote. Who switched the price tags? <laughs> That's a great title for a book. Who switched the, the price tags? He said our value systems are topsoil theory. Well, he wouldn't even use a word like that. He's an American. But um, they're upside down. They're different from what they used to be. 
I detest its value system. Who switched the price tags? I hate its treatment of women and children. These lasses in Nigeria who got whisked away and forcibly turned to a religion they didn't want to become involved with. And they can't even find them, never mind deliver them. And that's why I'm so delighted that recently um, in Kenya they built a school beside the orphanage and it's a girls' school. The girls deserve special treatment because the girls and the women in places like Afghanistan and Africa are being treated like chattels. Think about our own country. This world is not my home because my own country has murdered almost three million babies before they were born since the abortion act in David Steele's abortion act in 1968. We're getting up to almost three million. And slavery of children. And child murder. You read about this. This man this week say, saying he was more concerned about lighting his cigarette than what was happening to the baby whose head he had bashed against the wall and killed. Pedophiles. It's got so bad when they, they want to set up a committee to vet pedophilia in high office. They can get into to cheer it. Who isn't defiled? They're saying now, let's get somebody from another country to come and chair this committee. The two guys are the two people who've been up, have both been discredited and can't chair because of their past associations. I abhor this country's protection of wealth, power, and status at the expense of worship and freedom for Christians. I recoil from its persecution of Christ and his people all over the globe because we now live in what's called the global village and we are involved with other folk elsewhere and feel responsible. And so for many reasons we think we'd maybe sympathise with the Jews. But the problem is you see when you become a victim and they were being judged for their departure from God. There's a parallel there with us, isn't there? As a nation. They had departed from the, their obedience to God's laws. And they had become victims. And when you become a victim, your value systems, your mind gets twisted. And here, they're actually glorifying those that would seize infants and dash them against the rocks. That's not Jewish theology, you might think, is it? It's, it's the product of their, their agony and their failure and their departure to think like that. So back to the question, how can I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Uh, back to the question... Think of it not as a joke, but as a challenge. When you think about it, it's going to be very easy to sing Worthy is the Lamb when you're in heaven. <laughs> it's a much more difficult challenge to sing Worthy is the Lamb in today's climate in Britain, isn't it? And so a lot of folk 
they subscribe to this view of the world in which we live. They think this analogy of the exile is a good thing. And it's true. There are elements of it that are true that I've just outlined to you. But let's get back to basics. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The world's and they that dwell therein. Whose world is it? God's world God is still in the throne if we cannot sing the Lord's song here we failed our faith is scrap, rubbish, not worth having if we only want to sing the Lord's song in heaven we've got to sing the Lord's song now we have to sing it and gain our greatest moral victory over a world of sorrow, pain, death and hopelessness. That's what we live in just now. We've got to lift the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ high and speak up for him and sing up for him. Worthy is the Lamb in the face of the gale and the voice of the tempter than it is to reserve it for heaven and just behave as if we don't really belong here. Two things about the song, and I'm finished. We won't speak for long today, just want to think carefully about this. Two, two things I'm going to say. Our song is a song of, of battle. It's a marching song. Because we are not happy wanderers on the earth. Remember, the song came out... Uh, it must be back in the 50s. I love to go a-wandering along the mountain track. And as I go, I love to sing my knapsack on my back. Remember? And the chorus was Faldry, you remember? And then, <laughs> listen, we're not happy wanderers. We are happy pilgrims. And there's a world of difference between a happy wanderer and a happy pilgrim, let me ask you this morning, are you a wanderer or a pilgrim? If you belong to Jesus, you recognise the suffering and death he went through and the mighty resurrection he achieved, then you're on the march. <laughs> it's a victory march. There's a wonderful verse in Corinthians, Paul says, but um, thanks be to God who always makes us to triumph in, in Christ and manifests the savour of his victory through us in every place that's our theology for today it's a victory march, it's a triumph you see they only had a triumph in Roman in the Roman army when the, the status of the general was very very high that was one reason, they had a whole list of rules the Romans had rules for everything um, you couldn't celebrate a triumph in Rome for a general unless he was a man of prestige secondly he had to achieve a great victory thirdly he had to annex more territory for the Roman Empire than there was before fourthly he had to kill so many people in battle and the Romans were so precise about this that if they hadn't made up the number to, to qualify for a triumph they used to kill off prisoners of war to make up the number so that they could celebrate a triumph. That was what pagan uh, organisation was like. And so, when we think of the Lord Jesus, <laughs> he's got this status, he's the Son of God. 
And secondly, as one of the great victory, he took on Satan, he took on death, he took on hell, he took on the grave, he took on all the millions, millions of the supporters of the, the kingdom of darkness, and he defeated them. He defeated them. There was an old Irish evangelist called W.P. Nicholson. He said the devil, when, he, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil was playing cards with his pals. <laughs> and they said, we've won. <laughs> and Jesus kicked the door down. <laughs> he says, and walked in and proclaimed his victory over them all. He'd won a great victory. And... Uh, He's annexed loads of territory all over the world today. People are turning to Christ. We live in the day of small things. You go to Africa. Good grief. I went to Africa and said, preach the morning sermon. Preach the morning service, 9 till 11, 2 hours if you don't mind. Um, the English service lasted 2 hours. I said, many were there, oh, about 1,600 at least. <laughs> So when you take the keys for healing service, 11 to 1, another two hours, we'll give you an interrupter, I mean an interpreter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was there at the second service. Many were there. Oh, at least 1,800. So in the one morning, I preached to about 3,500 people in Africa. They were hungry for the word. Two hours was nothing to them for a morning service. No, no, I'm not going to keep you that length of time. But it was nothing to them. God's moving. Been to Brazil. Oh, the church in Brazil, you have to see it to believe it. And so many young people, you wouldn't credit it. Absolutely brimming over with energy to serve the Lord Jesus. Jesus has won a great victory and he's, he's got the kingdom of heaven in every kindred and nation and people all over the world so we're singing the Lord's song two things about it I've just met, fin met, mentioned both of them one is a marching song we are journeying to a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God Amen. we are mm -hmm. on the march for Jesus yeah. all over the world <laughs> Jesus Jesus has got us in the march and in victory there's a whole lot of things that are determined to make us forget that you know they, they did it in the Old Testament what do these what are these feeble Jews doing they were building a wall, remember, around Jerusalem. What are the, these feeble Jews doing? Well, nowadays, the creed of materialism, so they say to us, what is all this garbage about an unseen reality? The only real things are the tangible things, the taste and see and touch things. And the Bible says, the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal and the dust and heat of life make us too busy too noisy to think and they call it dreams and fairy tales that we think about and they, they would agree with Hitler Hitler wrote his life story you know Adolf Schickelgruber Adolf Hitler 
He could never have succeeded as a dictator with a name like Adolf Schickelgruber, by the way. But Adolf Hitler, he took his other name. And wrote a book called Mein Kampf. The story of his life. It means my struggle. And out there today, that's Mein Kampf. That's, that's what's going on. Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf, and Professor Alan Bullock, who wrote The Life of Hitler, it's called A Study in Tyranny, he said, this is the philosophy of the Doss House. <laughs> mein Kampf. As Christians, we shouldn't be struggling. We should be marching. We're marching. The creed of materialism denies the unseen reality of God and the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in our lives. The dust and heat of life tries to get us to forget all these things and be taken up with the present and with the noise and bustle of the present. And there's the tempter's determination determined to make us forget. Do you believe in a devil? Men don't believe in the devil now as their fathers used to do. They forced the creed, the door of the broadest creed, to let his majesty through. There isn't a print of his cloven hoof or a fiery dart from his bow to be seen in the earth or the air above, for the, the world has voted so. Of course, <laughs> the, <coughs> the devil ceased to be. Of course the devil's gone. But simple people want to know. Who carries his business on? He's still busy. He's still alive. He's determined. And he brings bribes and sensations and thrills and pleasures. And you see the poor souls buying lottery tickets. The suffocating stranglehold of the world is there all the time. And Daniel lived in Babylon. And he was able to keep his spiritual dimension. How did he do it? Well, he flung his window open and he gazed away to where the people of God had been on the over the horizon. And we take courage from God. And the world says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And the Christians think, want to say the same thing. <laughs> The Jews were wrong. A, well, most things you can argue, facets of it are right. But essentially that's wrong. Because this is God's world. And he's called us to live in it. To march in it. With a view to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. To know that when we are absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. And he wants us to live in victory. Not with our harp hanging on the willow tree. <laughs> Thank you very much.